This is a transitional message between uh, four weeks of focus on the depths of the love of Christ and our love for each other. We're, we're kind of doing a, a turn from the vertical to the horizontal. And the question I pose this morning is, what's the link between all this that we've been talking about, the love of, of Christ for us and our love now for each other and for the world. What's the link? Is there any biblical help and insight about what gets that into here and from here out to there so that people see and feel coming from other human Christians that grand love that we've been talking about, that love that we saw was so costly in that it cost Jesus his life. It was powerful in that it overcame my lack of desert and worth. He died for us, for me, while I was yet a sinner and ungodly and an enemy. It's lavish in that it makes me a child of God and thus makes me an heir of everything that God owns, which is everything so that all works together for my good. And he withholds nothing from me that is good for me. And I think Pastor Willis would say that. We need a theology of the love of God and the power of God that is big enough to say that if I get a phone call after the service that my band is dead and my Karsten is dead, I will be able to say Psalm 84, 11, he withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. Is our vision of the love of God that big? It is that big. It is that big. It is that great. It is a massive love. It can handle Rwanda. We may have unanswered questions, but all we know is Christ died so that this could be made whole, so that anybody in any circumstance could cleave to that suffering and have power to handle this suffering. And we saw last week that it's free, that the love is free. Nobody takes my life from me, Jesus said. I'll lay it down of my own accord, and if I lay it down, I can take it again. So, four weeks now, we've been talking about this depth, the depth of the love of Christ. And the reason we chose that phrase, the depth of the love of Christ, is because of a prayer that we read four weeks ago in Ephesians 3.17, where Paul prays, May Christ dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power to comprehend what is the depth and height and length and breadth and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. And week after week I have strained at saying, how do you comprehend the incomprehensible? And we've said, you don't do it by standing aside and just looking at it and saying, hmm, that's, that's really a lot of love. You do it by, by stepping into it and then sending roots of your life down into this bottomless soil, pressing to see if you can find the bottom and sending your roots deeper and deeper, which simply means banking on it, trusting in it, relying upon it, casting yourself on it, taking some risks in the power of it so that you test it and prove it. 
You, you comprehend what is comprehensible about the love of Christ by getting inside of it and going down into it, not by standing aside and simply analyzing and watching it. And so my question this morning is, what is this? I don't know whether we'll stick with this image of the tree or not. We probably will. But what's the link? What's the root that goes down into the soil of the love of God for us and results in fruit coming out on the branches of the trees of our lives that other people can pluck and eat and find nourishment and sustenance and healing and help through crisis times like these? What is that? What's the link? Because if I were to just jump on and say, okay, now let's all love each other, God might do it. He's perfectly capable of making the link, whether I articulate it or not. But, oh, I believe the Bible reveals these things to us that we might understand them with our minds, embrace them with our hearts, and then join with the scriptures and with God in the link between his love for us and our love for others. So that's the question this morning. What is the link between his love for us and our love for others? The book of Galatians is where I'm going to take my answer. There are two answers in the book of Galatians. I'll mention them and then we'll look at them one at a time. And after we look at the two answers, we will look at a text that puts the, the two together and we'll ask how do those two answers relate to each other practically this afternoon in our quest to be more loving people to each other. Answer number one is the Holy Spirit. That's the link between the love of God for us and ours for others. And the second answer is faith. Let's start with the Holy Spirit. Even though John didn't read this text, I only wanted him to read one for time's sake. Galatians 5, 13 is where I'll start. You are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but... Through love, serve one another. That's what freedom is for. Freedom is for love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You want to fulfill the whole law? Devote yourself to loving your neighbor the way you love yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. But I say... Here comes the spirit. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. You won't bite and devour one another. You will serve one another in love. In other words, the spirit is the link. The spirit is the connection that causes a flow and a power from the love of God for us into us, through us, so that we serve one another in this glorious freedom of the spirit. Not the law or the letter. Look at verse 22 for a confirmation of this. Very familiar words about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit produces, fruit-like, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So I'm going to stick with this image of the tree because now we've got fruit. The Holy Spirit, I would say, is the sap that is coming out of this nutritional soil of the love of Christ for us up through the root, which we'll get to in a minute, 
the sap coming through this root, up the trunk, out the branches, and producing the fruit of love. Which means that the Christian life is a supernatural life. This is so important. Let me dwell on this for a minute because we're so vulnerable to domesticating the Christian life. Always bringing it down to something manageable and doable in our own strength. We Americans just love to have things under control and manageable and fixable and, and growable. And mm, we just make it happen. We're Americans. We know how to do things. We are a make it happen people. It's one of our strengths. But when it comes to the Christian life, if that impulse takes the place of the Holy Spirit who is the power to bear the fruit of love, and we just bump him out and say, we know how to do that. We can do it with some psychological techniques and some child training and a little bit of sensitivity therapy, and we can produce that. There are two kinds of responses to this. One, you might feel like a loving person. In fact, you might have the outer echo or shadow in your life of a personality that most people, when they look at it, would say, there is a kind person, there is a tender person, a sweet person, a gentle person. And it may all be natural. It may be chromosomes, family rearing, personality, hormones, circumstance, all kinds of things may go in to make you that kind of personality. And there's a great danger there. But it's also tremendously encouraging for those who sit there, and I, I'm more in this category, I feel, who say, by nature, I do not think I am by nature a loving person. I, I think there are edges to my personality, to my verbal approach to life that take work or something. And right there is the issue to make me into a more caring person. Now, the reason I say this is encouraging is because those people who are sitting there saying, yeah, you should hear my tongue at home. I mean, I look real nice here at church, but you should watch me at work. I blow up at my colleagues. I'm hard on my secretary or I don't feel like a loving person this morning. That's encouraging. Because what it means is you're in a position to recognize what this text is saying. Namely, it isn't you. Every person in this room is by nature unloving. Otherwise, Christianity is not a supernatural religion and we don't need the Holy Spirit. If love is a fruit of the Spirit, it is not a fruit of your personality. If love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, it's not a fruit of chromosomes. If love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, it's not a fruit of upbringing. It is a fruit of God. Love is the work of God. And people who feel vulnerable, who feel like they got a raw deal in their upbringing, who feel like they may be wired in some weird ways as far as their, their, their body goes, those are people who are ready to hear that it's of God or it isn't love. And you can open yourself afresh to it. And you know, I have a feeling, I read this in C.S. Lewis one time and found it encouraging 25 years ago, that those who are wired in a way that seem a little bit rough and awkward and non-social in their demeanor and way of personality, 
their little incremental growth by the power of the Holy Spirit may be evidence of vastly more saving grace than the person who, by virtue of family background and personality, is always smooth, always nice, always rolling with the punches, but knows no grace. It's a scary thing. Love is a supernaturally wrought thing by the Holy Spirit working with you where you are to bring you forward little by little to Christ-likeness. So let us beware of being too discouraged if we didn't get wired the way we think it looks loving or if we are uh, seemingly wired towards what looks outwardly like love, let us beware of thinking that that's it, when in fact it takes the Spirit of God to make a person authentic with the love of God. So the first answer to the question is that the Holy Spirit, this supernatural reality, is the link between the love of God for us and our love for others. He must come into our lives in some way, in some mysterious fashion, begin to take over and work and change from the inside so that we begin then to flesh out what we've experienced from God. Here's the second answer. The second answer is faith, and it's found in what John read, chapter 5, verse 6. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith. Working through love. Now, let me step back and tell you what Paul's wrestling with here. You heard it read. He's wrestling with a false teaching that is taking root there in the Galatian churches that says something like this. All right, we began the Christian life by faith, but now in order to uh, show ourselves worthy of God's ongoing blessing or to show ourselves uh, deserving or meritorious of the full-blown Christianity, let us do some works of the law. One would be circumcision. And so the Gentiles are being pushed to do these things in order to increase or enhance their acceptance with God. And Paul is so angry about this. We'll see it in a minute in chapter 3. But here he says in verse 2, if you receive circumcision like this, if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Choice. It's kind of like an all or nothing thing. It's like, all right, you began with Christ, you began with faith, you began with the Spirit, and now you begin to turn from that and say, well, maybe I could really help myself get right with God. Maybe I could really complete my standing with the Father if I got myself circumcised or if I did some other ceremonial law keeping thing, maybe the maybe the the uh, food laws would help or maybe keeping certain Sabbaths would help get me fully right with God. He says, if that's your mentality, you nullify the cross. Zero. You make Christ of no effect and he's of no advantage to you. You have opted out of grace when you get that mentality. Oh, this is an awesome thing he's dealing with here. So the question arises, all right, if I don't get connected with this salvation, with this justification, with this sanctification, with this hope of glory, all this good stuff that Christ bought for me and paid his life for, if I don't connect with that through works of the law, how do I get connected so that I can be a part of it? Verse 6, real clear, it says... Circumcision 
and uncircumcision avail nothing. But here's what avails everything. Faith working through love. Now let me tell you what I think that phrase means. Be careful here because you could really go wrong at this point with the word, those, those several little words. Faith working through love. I think what it means is this. I am offered freely all that Christ purchased for me. I cannot improve upon the cross in paying the debt for my sin. Faith is the link with this Jesus. Depending on him, relying upon him, casting myself upon him, banking on his promises, resting in and being satisfied with all that he is for me, making no contribution to him or to the price of my redemption. Thank you. I rest. I receive. I treasure. I'm satisfied. Thank you. Mm. And what happens at that moment when you do that is that the link is established. And the power and the love and the spirit begin to course into your life and through your life. And it comes out, as these next verses say, through love. The love is not a payment for that. It is the evidence of that received by faith. We got that now? Oh, so much hangs on that distinction. So much hangs on that distinction. This whole letter is written to address that distinction. Are you going to treat the fruits of your life as you trust in the Lord as ways of ingratiating yourself with God? Getting right with God, improving your standing with God, meriting or deserving his favor. Or are you going to let faith be all and such a faith that so links you with this spirit of love that it now transforms you into a person who little by little becomes more and more loving so that the love is not the earning of the salvation, it is the outflow of that wonderful work of the cross. That's what I think he means when he says, circumcision doesn't avail anything. Faith avails everything. Faith of the sort that is authentic enough in its resting in Christ and its treasuring of Christ that it works through love. So the answer, secondly, is the root that carries the sap is faith. The root that carries the sap of the Holy Spirit is faith. So we got the whole image now before us. The ground which is bottomless and infinitely nutritious is the, the, the depths of the love of Christ. Four weeks we've been on it. The Holy Spirit is ready to move power up into the tree and bear the fruit of love. And the link up so that the Holy Spirit flows is the root of faith. Now let me show you this explicitly from chapter 3. This is the text I said would link the two links. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Paul is so distressed. I, I said I'd show you where he, he's angry. Love gets angry when 
the beloved is jeopardized by false teaching or the leaven of sin. And here Paul, so jealous for these churches, let's read it, you foolish Galatians. That's an expression of love, by the way. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It's like a witch. It's like a witch has come into the congregation and diverted your whole mind away from the gospel that I shared with you to another gospel, he says in chapter 1, verse 6. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. That's what he did in his preaching. He portrayed him crucified. This is the thing I want to ask you. Here's the question. Did you receive the Spirit, answer one, by the works of the law or by hearing with faith, answer two? Answer must have been by hearing with faith. Or are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected or completed by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it really is in vain? Does he then who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, Notice the link now between spirit and faith again. Does he who provides you with the spirit and works miracles among you do so by works of law, like circumcision, or by hearing with faith? And the answer is by faith. Now, here's what he's dealing with. The false teaching in these churches of Galatia was this. Okay, okay, fine, 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 fine. You Gentiles began with faith. Fine, no problem. We like that. You began with faith and, okay, you received the Holy Spirit by faith. So faith was the root you sunk into the love of God. And up surging through that root was the Holy Spirit. And you began to be transformed. And here arrives the Judaizers on the scene with their second level theology. It's a second level Christianity. If you want to really be fully right with God. If you want to get completed if you want to improve upon your standing with the Father so that He's not holding anything against you, if you want to show yourself really fully deserving and worthy of all of this stuff Paul talks about, keep the law with some circumcision and some holidays and some food laws and so on. And here comes Paul into that situation. And he says, look... That's a witchcraft teaching. Look at this now, he says. You, you think you've graduated? You think you begin with the spirit and graduate to the flesh? And you begin with faith and you graduate to works of law? Let me tell you, there ain't no graduation in this school. You start with the spirit and you start with faith. And you move from grade to grade by one means alone. Faith, appropriating the power of the Holy Spirit, which works itself out in love. And you graduate into spirit and into more of faith. And there is nothing but faith and nothing but spirit from now until forever. And anybody who teaches you that there's a graduation point where you start to pick up a little bit so that you can get some of the glory in the Christian life. And you've really produced the works. That's called truancy. That results in being expelled, according to Galatians 5, 2, and 3. 
There is no graduation out of faith, folks. And that's great news. Do you hear that as great news? There is no graduation out of first grade in the Christian life. Faith resting in what he did like a little child is the way you will be in 10 million ages of his presence. That's all you will ever be is a little child in first grade resting, satisfied, enjoying all that God is for us in Jesus and being so nurtured and so cleansed and so caressed and so embraced that you cannot help but grow in becoming a loving person, which then just simply testifies to the fact that you're a little child resting in the Lord. You don't have any pretense here. I've got to get into fifth grade and do a fifth grade kind of work so that he'll still be my teacher. So the answer to my question of how does link number one, the Holy Spirit, and link number two, faith, relate to each other? Well, you see it here. Verse two. Did you receive the spirit of the work, receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The answer is hearing with faith. And so the relationship is that faith receives the spirit. Faith receives the spirit. So you're asking right now, how can I receive the Holy Spirit? Answer is trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. He comes through the channel of faith. Verse five. Now, verse five is, is really relevant to you because most people in this room have been Christians for a while. Not all, but most. If you've been Christians for a while, listen to these words. Does he then who provides or supplies? That's a present tense verb in Greek, and it means ongoing provision, ongoing supply. Same is the next verb. Does he then who provides you with the spirit and works present tense, goes on working miracles like love and others among you? Does he do these things by works of the law? So if you're hungry today to see God work miracles in our midst. To work the miracle of love, number one, and other kinds of stunning signs and wonders that would cause the world so hard to sit up and take notice. If you're hungry for that, what does this verse say about how, as a person and a congregation, to embrace that? Not circumcision, not any kind of struggle to work to, to get yourself into the heart of God. But childlike, does it happen, he says, through works of law or does it happen through hearing with faith? Faith, faith, faith in Christ, faith in his promises, faith in his provision, faith in his beauty, faith in his love, faith in his wisdom, faith in his power, faith resting. That's the challenge. When we have that. The Holy Spirit is coursing, it's coursing, moving. And to get more of the spirit, we need more of that. You want to enlarge the pipe of faith to get more of the spirit. That's what you do. Now, one last question. How, how do you get more of faith? According to these verses, I, I sloughed over, I... I glossed over a phrase that if you're reading with me, you're, you're probably saying, Ooh, is he going to say anything about hearing with faith? What's this phrase? Hearing with faith in verse 2 and hearing with faith in verse 5 of chapter 3. 
And my simple observation is this. What Paul is saying is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. What he means is I came to you preaching. I came to you with a message. I came to you placarding Jesus Christ crucified. Verse one. The issue was then, are you going to rest in this message and the Christ revealed in this message? And so if you ask, how do I get more faith this afternoon so that I can become more full of the Holy Spirit so that I can become more loving? That's the sequence we followed. Love from fullness of the Spirit, from fullness of faith. And now we're down to hearing, hearing. Now, there's something you can do, folks. Up to that point. It's hard to get a handle on anything practical that you could do. It's God. God is the spirit. God produces faith. But hearing, Jesus said, take heed then how you hear. When he finished the parable of the four soils. Take heed how you hear sermons. Take heed how you hear the radio. Take heed how you hear your Bible when you read it. Because there's something you can do. And you don't do it. To earn anything, you do it as a desperate, hungry, thirsty deer putting your face in the water brooks and saying, oh, God, my God, I thirst for your promise. I need you to strengthen my faith and you drink. The, the Bible is simply a, a pool of love in which to drink. And drinking when you're desperately thirsty is nothing to brag so let me try to sum it up for us as we close. Do you join me at Bethlehem in wanting to be more loving people? Do you join me in wanting to see more manifest, visible evidences of love among each other? Do you want to become the kind of person who in five minutes, when we're walking out of here, and you're walking sort of next to somebody and you don't know them, don't know them, never met them. You would like to become the kind of person who instead of just kind of watching the floor and hoping you can bump into somebody that you know, you will reach out and take their elbow and get their attention and say, I don't know you. My name's John. What's your name? You want to become more like that? I want to become more like that. I didn't grow up being that kind of person. I was so nervous as a child. I was so frightened in front of groups. My, my kids are just amazing to me. I just thought of this. We go to Pizza Hut to eat. And uh, my kids drink all the... You get all the pop you want free. They drink gallons of pop. And uh, they had absolutely no qualms after the fifth glass to go up and walk over there. And they're all laughing behind the counter. You want more? Yeah, I want some more. I would have never done that as a kid. Ever. In a thousand years, I would have never done that. So just to give you a little picture on my background, that I am not by nature gregarious. And so what I'm saying here is, you want to join me in becoming more like that? So that you don't just settle and say, oh, well, I'm like this. And you're like, I mean, there's a sense that we do have, we do have to relax with who we are a little bit. But there's always room for improvement. And if we're talking serious about love here, it comes down to things that simple. Will you just kind of make a beeline for your friend in the commons 
and then talk about how nice it is to have friends at Bethlehem? Or will you realize there's three dozen people in this room right now who don't know a soul, perhaps. Don't know a soul. And are you going to be praying right now, make a divine appointment so that as I walk out, the person I say hi to uh, would be a person that needs my kind of high, my unique, funny personality. If you pray like that, God will do it. He'll do exciting things for us. Do we want to be the kind of people who, if we get interviewed in Oklahoma City, we don't say, the problem is they let too many people like that in this country. Ha! Who did it? We, we are in an atmosphere right now where the hate level is bumped really high. The vengeance level in our country is bumped really high. Do you want to be the kind of people who in that moment have the shrewdness and the wisdom to know how to balance justice and mercy? Who know how to say, yes, it was horrendous. Bill Clinton is right. Evil cowards. I agree with that phrase. But now, are we going to stoke the engines of hatred in this land so that everybody with a Middle Eastern complexion is going to be spit on? Or are we going to have a hand in doing something about that with the way we talk? Are we going to be light and salt in a culture that's kind of reeling on the edge of nervousness? You see why I really didn't have to change the theme this morning. I'm asking you, if you want to join me in all of that, where are you going to turn? And the answer is, let us with all of our might now turn first to be filled with the Holy Spirit because he bears the fruit of love. To that end, let us turn to be filled with faith. Let us make that the practical aim of our lives. Oh, to believe, to trust, to rest, to be satisfied with Christ more and more. And to that end, let us hear, hear, hear the word of God and the gospel and specifically Christ crucified for us in the gospel and all that love manifest in his placarded crucifixion. One closing recollection from the Old Testament. Do you remember? I saw all of this in the Old Testament when I saw Psalm 1 and Jeremiah 17 beside each other. Have you ever done this? There are only two places in the Bible that I know of where it says, if you do such and such, you become like a tree planted by water. One is Psalm 1 where it says, if you meditate on the law of the Lord day and night and your delight is in the law of the Lord and you're down with your face in the pool, drinking up the law of the Lord like a thirsty deer, you will become like a tree planted by streams of water that will bear its fruit in its season. And Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 says it slightly differently just to bring in the faith idea. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord for he will be like a tree planted by streams of water that bears its fruit and he does not fear when the heat comes because his leaves remain green and he is not anxious in the year of drought because he does not cease to bear fruit it's all there all of that sustained by the Holy Spirit so let's be a church who are people of the word with our face in the pool of the book and let's be a people full of faith in the glorious love that God has for us and all it means for our future. And let's be a people who are drenched and filled with the power and the love of the Holy Spirit and let all of that show itself in love. Father, make it happen, please. Don't let it just be words this morning.
Grant that it would go to the heart. Grant that we would be a people set on the word and set on faith and set on the spirit and just filled and drenched and met by you in renewing and reviving ways. Oh, Father in heaven, we want to beseech you that you would come. Our prayer teams would love to put their hand on your shoulder and ask that the root would go deeper if any of you want to linger and pray. You're dismissed.